So you have, do you have that person in your life or that you've been around where whenever they talk, you just moment their, their lips start moving, you know, there's another agenda that they have. So they're saying one thing, but their agenda is something else. And it's almost always something that they're getting at that they need or that they want or they whatever. Um, you don't know any people like that? No, I've seen you elbow each other. That's weird. Um, Jesus is exactly like that, except opposite. Like when I, when I look into scripture, the more I study it, I, I realize that he's always got this agenda. It's like never exactly what you think initially. Sometimes it is, but so I said, never can't do that. Um, but he's always got this agenda, but it's never just, it's, it's, it's never against you. It's always for you. It's always this thing that may come across one way, but always ends up being about this kingdom that's for him and about him, but the benefit is yours and mine. And so it's, it's really interesting that we don't tend to study scripture that way. We tend to, because in our flesh, who we are and what we're maybe conditioned to do, we often study scripture in a defensive way. Instead of looking for that hope, we constantly slide into what it is that I got to do or where I'm going to get judged or we're, def- you know what I mean? You ever get defensive like initially? And I think we pick our favorite scriptures based on that many times. Um, but as we look into Matthew six, I really want us to kind of change the lens in which we view what is being taught here. Last week we started uh, with, uh, with verses five through eight. And we were talking about Jesus specifically was teaching uh, about how we pray. And he was telling us not to pray like hypocrites. We talked about what a hypocrite, what that meant. And, and, and biblically here in this context, hypocrite is not, uh, we tend to think of someone who is judging someone for something that they do themselves or something like that. But it really just means those who are kind of operating under a mask. And we explored that a little bit. If you didn't have the opportunity to hear that, maybe go online and you can listen to it. But kind of the crux of that scripture is where uh, Jesus comes to and it says, Um, In verse five, he says, talking about those who pray, they love to be seen. Uh, They're like the hypocrites standing in the synagogue. So it's talking about religious, hyper-religious actions, right? They love to be on the street corners to be seen. He says, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. And then it goes on, it says, instead, when you pray, go into that private place, into that room. We explored what it meant to have that in those inner places, not just that we should never pray in public, but that it should be more personal, that it should be more vulnerable, right? And that, uh, that you pray to a father, the scripture says, who is unseen. And then it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret, in that secret place, in that intimate, in that vulnerable place will reward you. And that word reward means restore, And so when he goes on and he says, don't keep on babbling, don't keep doing this because you think you're going to be heard. Basically, he's talking about that light, that's drawing light to that struggle between seeking man's approval and God's approval, even in our faith, which is really hard, isn't it? It's really hard sometimes. But then it goes in and he's saying, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask. When he says, don't be like them, what it's saying is their reward is received in full from man, their acknowledgement from one another. And he's not, this isn't a threat, but it's a promise that if instead our focus is on the heart of God and who he is and what's going on there, if our heart would be there, that in those private deep places, that that's the beginning of our restoration, that that's where God meets us. And the beautiful, I love the last, the last verse there where it says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. The word knows means perceived. So your father, God perceives, you know, that, that intuitive thing, when you know someone so well, they walk in the room and you can just see the expression on their face. You're like, something's off, something's off, something's wrong. This is telling us that God knows that. 
And it's at that place that he perceives our greatest need, even when we don't know what it is. We think one thing, but it's really this. And at that place is where that restoration really begins. It's where that really begins. And that's his desire for us. So this isn't a threat telling us, stop praying like this or stop praying like that. Or you're going to, you're going to, that's all you're going to get. It's the love of the father. This is the agenda in this scripture. So this is the context in which we continue reading in this scripture. The scripture that we all know, especially if you've been around here. Um, uh, that you've heard before. Uh, if you've never been in church before, you've heard this scripture. And rem- remember, he's addressing the religious of the day who they gathered daily for prayer. They gathered daily in the synagogue for scripture. They were doing all the motions, but they were missing something. And so he continues in this scripture that we gain what we call the Lord's Prayer from. And it starts in verse nine. It says this, this then is how you should pray. And I, let me come back to real quick. Remember, the instruction is not only for, for, you know, for, for our best and who we become and his kingdom and his, to his glory, but also he's, as a rabbi, teaching his disciples what it means to be a follower of him. So he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he is outlining that very clearly what it means to be his disciple. Okay? So he moves in. He goes on. To, this, is, this then is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your name. I'm not reading King James. This is the NIV. Uh, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive, as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So let's look at this scripture. You know, a lot of times this is used in the church. We say, hey, if you, want to, if you want to learn how to pray and pray right so God doesn't throw a lightning bolt at you, here's how, right? Let's go a little deeper into that. Let's look at the scripture, what it's talking about. If it says at the beginning, our father, hallowed be thy name, what does that mean right there? What's going on in that moment? What is the lesson of the day for that, for that, for that simple sentence? To praise, right? It's an adoration. Actually, hallowed means to consecrate. So not only are you praising, but you're praising because why? Because you're acknowledging who he is. So it's really an adoration. It's a moment of assigning glory to the one who should really get it. Okay, so that's a posture of the heart. So it begins with a posture of the heart. It's not like that conversation that we just start talking to somebody and we can't wait for them to shut up so we can tell them what we want, Right? It starts with recognizing who our father is and an adoration, but there's also, it's more. It also conveys a sense of affection, okay? So there's a lesson here. And then it moves on, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. We talk about his kingdom come. What does this mean that we're praying for? Anyone? Say that again, I'm sorry. Right, so it's our realization that we would experience on earth what Christ came to bring here, right? For the ways, the word kingdom is really sovereignty. It's really um, a a realm where where God's rule reigns over our rule, right? Where if you ever want to think about, well, where can the kingdom break through in my life? I, I believe this, any way you choose, any place, any moment you choose his way over your way, his kingdom breaks through. He there, then reigns in that moment. You know what I'm saying? But our fight constantly is for us to reign, for us to rule, and it becomes our kingdom. And so the, often that becomes our, our, um, our struggle, right, is that we are praying for his, his kingdom 
his will, which means desire to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. And then, so moving on. So, um, true. I mean, really, this is the great objective of Christianity. If we believe in this redemptive arc and this story of God redeeming his creation, that this is really the great object of Christianity, that we would pray for and desire to live out the kingdom and that people would see the kingdom. That's why I believe that a faith community should be the greatest testimony of the kingdom because it's how we live that out to one another. All the things that we're learning and we're trying to learn to apply and we mess up on and we we forgive one another, we move forward and we grow and we just get stronger and stronger, that that should be the greatest testimony of God's goodness and his grace uh, as we live among one another. Your will be done means desired, his preferred will. I've heard of other people teach that is it's talking about his ultimate dream. Like if it was the thing he dreamed, God dreams of, that he desires, he wills, that it's his will. Um, praying for, for our, uh, our provision, give us today our daily bread. What precedes asking God for provision in this scripture? It's what we just said, asking for his kingdom first. So in order to go into and to have the right posture in asking for our provision, it in this scripture is outlined in the context of his kingdom and his will first, right? So there's an understanding there of what that is supposed to look like. And it goes on to praying for no t- temptation and forgiveness and being delivered from the evil one, to being delivered from toil. And oftentimes this is used as a template for the elements of prayer. And I think sometimes it's a good spot, a good starting point. Have you ever heard the Acts acronym for, for, for this scripture, Acts? If you want to pray, remember Acts. I, I think I learned this in vacation Bible school, like when I was seven. Acts, A is what? Anybody know? Acts. I'm, I'm out. This wasn't the Bible. It was just a little book that I'm reading. Um, adoration, um, C is what confession three or three is what, uh, T is what Thanksgiving and four is what supplication, you know? So I think it's a good point to start there and go, where's my strength? Where do I lean? Where do I, where do I lean every time I go there? Maybe my strength is my weakness. Maybe I lean to the, some of the, you know, the things that should come after the other ones. And I think that's a good way then to kind of back up and just do a little check on a simple level to say, okay, maybe I need to work in in some of these other areas. Maybe I fail to adore the father who who has done what he's done for us. Maybe I don't do that enough. Maybe maybe that could be a, a really good indicator of some things that are going on in our lives. But I've got to be honest with you, I think that, that that acts, it's a good starting point, but I think it falls short. I think often it's short-sighted. And our nature seems to be to kind of find the first place, the box that we could check, you know, and stick there. And, okay, I checked all the boxes. I axed it today. Um, And so we get in the action, but many times we miss the heart, right? So remember, Jesus always got an agenda. It's a little bit bigger than what we tend to. And that's kind of the difference between the law and the heart. You know, the heart of the law and the law, the letter of the law. And I've noticed in Scripture there's a lot of pairings. You ever notice this? There's a lot of things that go together. For example, if you think about mercy and justice, you almost always see mercy and justice in the same context together. What is it God's desires for you to love mercy and to seek justice and to walk humbly? The reason mercy and justice are together is because mercy is actually the heart and the fuel for justice. 
Okay, it's when we fully understand God's mercy for us that we fall in love with it, that then we extend it to others. And it's the fuel for the heart for seeing things that shouldn't be and things that are broken that we should have a desire then. So if we have no desire for justice, we need to backtrack and start thinking about where is our view of mercy? How do we fully understand what God's done for us? Right. So some of those things go together. Uh, Often throughout scripture, you see the word therefore. The word therefore many times you know, we're looking at a scripture. You need to go behind the therefore and look at what it's saying. In Romans 11 at the end of it, right before a very popular verse in Romans 12, 1, it's talking about the goodness of God and what he's done for us and his grace and his redemption, how he's going to restore us and all of these things. And then verse 1, chapter 12 says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, and it goes on to talk about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. And it ultimately ends with us knowing God's will for our life. So there's these two things that go together very, very intentionally, okay? I think in this scripture, and we look back on the Lord's Prayer and and this scripture here, if we found true adoration, we desire and we trust his kingdom, okay? Which was the next part that Acts doesn't talk about, right? If we found true thanksgiving, we desire his will on earth. If we fully understood his provision, we'd understand it's he who offers deliverance. And if we fully understood forgiveness, we'd be more likely to forgive others. And so there's a depth there that I think the Lord's Prayer represents that is not about checking the boxes of understanding, just adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. Those are very important elements, but it's a starting point with an agenda that goes towards something that leads towards the body of Christ living in a way that people are drawn to it. People are drawn to the person of Christ and they're, because they're drawn to the, the body of Christ. So I think all these things are really leading back to this great command, love God and love others. And I think it's all leading back to his great commission, which is to be and make disciples who do the same. It's, it's amazingly simple in a concept, you know, difficult to live out. Um, I'm just so convinced that what God is most concerned about is us trying to live that out instead of arriving. I really believe it. I think there are so many issues in life and in society that we struggle with today that you are never going to know the answer to. And I think one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to go, what was the answer to that? And he's going to say, the answer to that was, it was a test to see whether or not you loved each other through it. The, The answer was not for you to find the truth and the answer that you're looking for. The answer was that people group you didn't understand or get along with or that thing you were fighting about or that thing that you were invested in was bugging you so much and you were trying to protect for the church. Bro, I don't need you to protect the church for me, God says. The challenge and the test along the journey was how did you love me and love one another along the way? Great command, great commission. Um, I have struggled with church for a long time. It's weird. I'm a pastor. And most of the time, a lot of times I church as we know it at times has, has caused me a lot of frustration. Um, um, I've just, I've just struggled with that. And I believe the things that create the most frustration as a leader in the church and even with myself, I've come to realize is when we lose sight of these things, this command to love God and love others, this heart of all the agenda that we're seeking, it's when we, we lose sight of those things that we set ourselves up for a disappointment. It's when the infighting and the pointing the fingers and we can never get enough 
And we go from church to church to church to church to church. But no one, no one could ever please us or do enough because we're seeking it from man instead of God. I think these things that this scripture is talking about are the things that we need to fight for. But Jesus is not done in the scripture. He keeps going. He's actually going somewhere else because he's sneaky. Um, his agenda is deeper. Uh, he said, I want you to trust God. I want you to trust his will. I want you to trust his kingdom. I want you to trust that he provides. I want you to trust that, that he's the one who protects you now before he moves on to talking about, about uh, fasting. He says, so don't be defensive about this. This is not a threat. There's a promise that lies in this next thing I want to say. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Ugh. Right? And right now, several of you, including part of me, I'm getting mad. Because this scripture is hard. This scripture is very hard. Because... Um, some of you have been through experiences in which people have harmed you so deeply that there's no way I can understand that. Okay. So I want to tell you a couple things about this verse because I want to handle it well. First thing is I'm not going to tell you that no matter what someone else has done to you that you have to unconditionally take it on the chin that you have to even go to them, that you have to say, look them in the eye and say, I forgive you and move on like nothing happened. I'm not gonna tell you that right now, okay? <laughs> Hopefully that helped you relax a little bit. But two, I want you to know that I've studied this scripture a lot and I don't believe this verse is talking about salvation. Okay, when I see this verse instantly, I'm like, oh man, I better watch out or I'm not saved. I don't think Jesus is threatening us. I'm not saying, if you're really saved, you better do this, you know? I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that that's, that that's biblical. I think scripture is very clear that our salvation is based on our belief and confession of Christ as the Messiah. It, it has nothing to do with our ability to do anything. It has to do with the grace that we freely receive from Christ, okay? Let's not let other things seep in to take away from that, all right? Um, but I do think it's about the fruit or the potential of our salvation, what it looks like when we live in Christ. Okay, we'll come back to this a little bit, especially if you disagree with me. Please hang in there. Let's look at some more scripture, okay? Um, here's what I think it's telling us. That unforgiveness is a prison. Okay? Those are Jen's words. And that you have a father in heaven who understands your pain. And he wants you released from it. Okay. What does it mean to forgive? If you were to look up forgiveness in this context, it means to let go, to release, or to permit, to depart. To forgive. I permit, I suffer. I suffer it to let it. Literally, it's the same. It's the same. There's two words that go into it, but the root word is the same word that um, Jesus used with John the Baptist when Jesus said, I want you to baptize me. And John said, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. And Jesus looked back and he says, I, he says, suffer it for now that you would do this. And he was saying, permit this, allow this to happen. I know it's hard, but I need you to understand there's something bigger going on in this moment. Okay. 
He's saying, permit it, suffer it, to release. Unforgiveness is a prison. God's desire is freedom for you. It's for freedom's sake that you've been set free. That's scripture. And it's not easy, okay? So you have this deep hurt, many of you, and to the point in which it's consumed your life. Maybe even your fight has been to not allow it to define your life over and over and over. It's a constant struggle. Quite possibly that person does not even know the pain they've caused you. And that might be the hardest moment. That in itself might be the greatest pain you have. And the reason you want them to feel it back, <laughs> you know, or something like that. I had an experience several years ago that literally I felt like I was um, just taken wrong, misunderstood, and villainized. And um, it took me three and a half years before I didn't think about it every day, every day. And I wrote speeches in my mind. You ever do that? Um, and I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm you know, about 90% over it. I've realized in studying some of the scripture this week that I still maybe got about 10%. Um, and this is really helpful healthy for me. I want you to consider a few things. Maybe consider it. I called it roadmap to healing. That sounds so churchy. It's so dumb. Whatever. Just some thoughts. Thanks, Juan. I think do a couple things. This is, this has been helpful. Um, one, recognize the impact of unforgiveness. What we've already talked about, what scripture reveals, know that unforgiveness, it's where bitterness and anger grows, right? We know that. Whether they, someone deserves forgiveness or not, they may not even be thinking about you and we're dying inside. And, that, and then you think about that and it makes you even more mad, right? <laughs> it holds captive our thoughts. We dream up scenarios, we write speeches in our minds. We are, we are held captive in unforgiveness. Forgiveness is freedom. First thing, recognize the impact of unforgiveness. Number two, I would go to the extent of recognizing the two kinds of people who have harmed you. There are two kinds, in my opinion. The first is the kind that are actually asking for forgiveness from you. That someone is coming to you and they are asking your forgiveness. This shouldn't matter. And obviously there are kinds that aren't, right? The kind that are coming to you for one reason or another, humbling themselves or at least acknowledging some pain that they have caused you, that should matter to you as a Christ follower. There should be something in that that desires to make amends, to bring peace, to offer mercy, whatever. I don't, I, I, I want to tread lightly here because I know there are different things. You know, if someone took your parking spot at Walmart versus, you know, life experiences that we have growing up, this shouldn't matter. But the question is, are we withholding forgiveness for some reason for those people? And then why? Um, you know, if, if we feel like they deserve it, some part, you just want them to understand that they've caused you pain. And when we refuse that forgiveness, we are, we are withholding restoration from them, you know? And so I think scripture is calling us to consider those things. And as a Christ follower, I think that should give us pause. And, and then I think what the scripture is telling us is that in this bondage that we should really deeply consider how the impact where we think maybe we're just, we're getting some justice with them that really it's impacting us in other places of our lives. It's probably impacting our relationships and the way we view other people. It's probably impacting the way we view church. Um, the things in me that I 
um, don't want to do and I'm strugg- and I'm fearful about and all these things as a church leader are, are based on other things that I haven't let go of, you know, that have happened to me in my past. Um, I would just beg of you, if someone is coming to you and they are asking your forgiveness that you would consider, um, why are you withholding it? And then I would, I would encourage you, sorry, to pray about that. Get honest with God about it. And then there's those people who are completely oblivious or unconcerned about your pain. Yeah, those are the hardest ones, right? Maybe they don't even, maybe they don't even know or maybe they just don't even care. Um, my guess is that these are the ones that hurt the most. And I would argue that these are, are the scenarios we most likely are, um, are pursuing healing from that person, like getting what they deserve. We want them to acknowledge our pain, all of these said. And the problem with that is we are pursuing our healing based on what, from what they're doing from them instead of from God. They cannot restore you. God can. Okay? They cannot restore you. So maybe you've tried for 10 years to help them understand the pain they've caused and they just don't get it. Listen, your hope is not in them understanding that. Your hope is in God. And so I don't... I don't know. Um, I think just recognizing that, seeking that restoration from God instead of that person is very important. Um, and I think for me, that was the final 9%, you know? I think the last 1% was found in uh, kind of what this next point is, and that I think we need to recognize the motive or hope for our desire for reconciliation. Well, you need to reconcile that honors God. Well, what does reconciliation mean? I think sometimes we have this desire that we're going to make it, that we feel this guilt that we have to get it better than it was before, you know? Uh, the person that I have, you know, mo- this, an experience with, the reality was is I, I feel like reconciliation means we hang out now and we go to movies and dinner and we never did that before, you know? And so let's just be honest with each other about what our hope for reconciliation is and that might share with you whether that's really a spiritual leading or it's, out of the flesh or whatever it may be, or we feel like we haven't done enough. A lot of us deal with guilt as believers. Like God, God's going to be mad at me. I haven't done enough. Am I clean with God? He loves you. You know, he knows, he knows you got cake on your face and you're saying you're not eating cake. He's like laughing in the corner going, look how cute that is sometimes. Um, Recognize the motive. I think are we just trying to get back at them, cause them pain? Who's mo- what, what's the motive there? Um, to make it better than it was before. Now we're best buddies. Whose motive is that really? Um, is it to free them? Whose motive is that? Is it to free yourself? Whose motive is that? Is it to honor and trust God when struggling with obedience? Whose, whose motive is that? And then I think the last thing is simply to respond to that motive. And here's how I would encourage you to respond to that motive. And remember, don't get scared. I told you at the beginning, I'm not gonna make you do anything. Um, I think the first one is with everything is to confess to God, just to admit in that secret place. That's what the scripture at the beginning is all talking about that inner deepest place that you're able to meet one-on-one with God, because he said, you will be rewarded. The word reward was restore. That's where he'll, that's where he'll meet you. And, and the whole thing about the scripture is, is He's going, don't miss this, guys. If we don't go there, it's going to be surface and it'll be, your reward will be with man alone and it won't be at this level that you truly need it, this true healing, this true restoration. So start there, confess your sins to God. And the next one is, is confess your sins to one another. What does that mean? I don't think it necessarily means go to that person and have to confess, you know, unforgiveness 
I think if it's someone who is asking for forgiveness, maybe so. But if it's someone who's completely oblivious and they moved on in life and it was what, you know, I think simply scripture tells us, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Um, I don't know what your path is, but I think Jesus is reminding us here that unforgiveness is this this prison in our lives. It, It may be the root to a lot of pain and a lot of, a lot of things we're trying to get over that we can't get over that are on um, the surface. So for many of us, this is really hard work in very secret places of our heart. My prayer is that God will heal you and that the spirit will walk with you, that you will be released from whatever pain or from whatever is causing you pain. And I know that that is our father's desire and hope. Verse six, our father who sees what is done in secret, will restore you. Let's pray.